Thank you so much. While they're making their way, before we pray, just uh, early word, men. He always seemed to love breakfast, and Larry, as uh, gelati, has said he would uh, prepare an Italian breakfast for the men at the farmhouse on May the 5th. So you want to circle that in red letter, and uh, we're going to get the break in that place right, and, uh, and so more details are forthcoming. And maybe we can have the light on here so that uh, you can, oh, there it is, I guess. Can you see me okay or no? Do you want to see more of me? I do. Well, I need that. I could, uh, a glow might help me, right? Uh, I want to, want to introduce uh, some friends of ours all the way from Cutter and Phil and Sujin. You got to stand up, Phil. You got to say something to Phil. Let's welcome all the way from the, from the Middle East and now more recently Northern Africa. Phil, got to say something. Lexi, you got to stand up. You got to take. You got to claim your dad. So, Lexi, where? <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Sue Jen. Lexi, we appreciate that. I'll slip you that twenty. I promised a little bit later. <laughs> Oh, we better pray, Lord help us. Lord, thank you so much for this day. It's so great to... The, song, the, uh, the writer to Ecclesiastes says, it's pleasant to see, see the sun. And uh, certainly it is. And by that he means uh, it's good to be alive. I mean, when we're dead, we don't see the sun, but it's good to be alive, even in a fallen world where much seems to be against us, and yet uh, you're making us bit by bit, in the trophies of grace. We're not what we will be. We're not what we were, thank you, Lord. But by the, by the power of the gospel in our life, uh, we are uh, uh, radiating for Jesus. And we pray, Lord, increasingly so. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, as Jesus taught us to pray. And we forgive those that sin against us, Lord, completely and totally. We pray that You'd meet our daily breads. It's amazing how you do that, Lord. All the physical necessities of life, we worship you and thank you. Many times for the early years, we didn't know anything. And our, and our folks or somebody fed us and clothed us. And, and uh, now through these years, you use work and other means to care for us. And you're so kind and so generous. And, and uh, someday we won't need money at all in glory. I go to prepare a place for you. That's a prepared place in that celestial city. And now this is just the prelude, these few flips of the calendar. And this time ever goes so quickly, Lord. Going, going, almost gone. It's but a moment. It's but a vapor. And uh, you visited so many of us here with saving grace. You saved us. We, uh, we're messed up. We deserve hell. We confess that. We know that we're lawbreakers, and we have sinned more times than we can count. But the grace of God and the love of the Father, chiefly see, who sees us through Jesus, could not love us any more than he does. Oh, 
Oh, what hope is there in that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. We thank you for the cross. There our sin was atoned for. And to prove it, three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead, declared Son of God with power, the Bible says. And it's a picture of our coming resurrection. It's a picture of those who die in faith, that we lay low in the grave, and one day the trumpet will sound, and their bodies will come back to life full of vim and vigor. No more aches and pains, no more tears, no more death, no more funerals. Lord, we can't wait. We can't. That's hard for us. We're so much part of this broken world to even think, what must it be like without those things? Heartbreak on every side, disappointment, loss, suffering. And yet we look forward to that all because of Jesus. Now, Lord, take the Word of God and teach us. May we grow to be the men and women of God, servants of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for Grace Church. It's a community of faith where we love each other deeply. And I thank you for that, Lord. Mold us together. Lead us forward as a church. Bless our missionaries and support around the world. Thank you for Phil and Sue Jin and Lexi and their family, Lord. We ask your blessing upon, their, upon them and their travels and for their work with the State Department. Thank you for that. We love you so now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, take your Bible and uh, we're going to return to Luke's Gospel, the Doctor's Gospel, Luke uh, chapter 13. And I've called uh, our passage this morning, A Time for Helping. A Time for Helping. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I learned a lot of nursery rhymes when I was a kid. And would often uh, refer back to them, and, and even in some other passages. But one that always speaks so clearly to me is, is uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I often think of that because uh, a man in his genius thinks, well, we just need more education and we'll fix Humpty Dumpty. Or we just need uh, more money thrown at a problem. More government, that's the answer. More of this, more of that. Humpty Dumpty is broken and only the Lord Jesus Christ is able to reverse the curse and bring about the end of brokenness. But we live in a broken world today, and we're going to see this in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, from a Christian perspective, brokenness and disability is just a normal part of living life in an abnormal world. I know we think of it as unusual, but it really isn't. The, the abnormal or the disability in an abnormal world is the normal. Listen, as soon as you're born, you begin to die. Did you know that? <laughs> Holy macaroni. It's just, I know they say with a guy, you know, well, he reaches a zenith at, what is it, Mark, 23, 24? 30, by 30, you're a goner. I hate to tell you, even Dan, Dan looks like he comes out there yesterday at work day. Holy cow. What? Is it 33? Yeah, when the Lord was killed, right? Maybe so. I mean, we're, we're dying. We're dying. We're dying. And some of it, if we hold on for a little bit, you know, as this Humpty Dumpty is crumbling around the edges in other places, right, it's going quickly. <laughs> That's a normal thing. It is. It's normal. Well, the introduction, you know. I mean, originally, let me remind you that God created a perfect world for perfect people with perfect bodies. Now, that's, 
That's a sad thought when you stand in front of the mirror. That's a sad thought anyway. You know, like how many like to do that? I, I, you know, ladies particularly hate mirrors. But here's the thing that confuses men. They look at them a lot. Have you ever noticed that? Like guys would say, right, Mike? I was like, holy moly. And most of the women think most men hardly ever have seen a mirror. Have you looked at yourself lately? No. <laughs> but when you really take a look, it's a scary thing. You go like, whoa, whoa. And I'll let you fill in that blank. I'm not going any further that way. Well, time for healing. We live in a broken world filled with broken people. And if uh, you're doing okay at the moment, just wait a few ticks of the clock. I'm sorry to tell you that if you have a different thought on that. Stuff's going to happen in your life. Try as you might. You cannot avoid it. it. You can't. Sooner or later, trouble finds us. It hits us in our relationships. It hits us in our work. You know, they closed the factory. They moved it offshore. I got, I got passed by. Uh, someone else got the job, and they fired me. I talked to someone not too long ago on that. It happens. Stuff happens. It happens in our health. I've said that before. Why, why do I have, I, and we don't use Rolodex anymore, right? Mostly if you're certain age, you don't know what it is. But why do I have all these specialists, and why are they first-name bases to me? And I go right through this list, and I'm not even in Florida, God's waiting room, and I still have all these... I don't, it's amazing, really. Our health, our finances, just to mention a few. Well, as Christians, God has called us to love him and to love all others. Among other things, it means that in answer to Cain's question, remember that? Am I my brother's keeper? Echoing through the uh, eons of time, the centuries of time, when our Lord Jesus, and we saw that in recent days, spread out his arms and was nailed to the cross, the answer shouts to us, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And we are to take care of each other as we make this quick trod through this short thing called life here on earth. We are to give ourselves to what? Rescue the perishing and care for the dying. We are to do that. That's not just for pastors to do, but it's for all of us to be a blessing. And all of us, lest you think, I've got nothing to give. Every one of us has that ability in some more than others, in a lot of ways, to be a blessing and a help to those that certainly need it. Well, God best illustrated this for us in, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, where in a short time, it's an amazing thing when you look at the gospel. Jesus provided a taste of heaven. It was. It was literally a reverse of the curse in those isolated situations in which the Lord Jesus came walking into or they approached him. What do I mean? The dead were raised. That's pretty good. Now, that's one of the great passages in Luke when the Lord stumbles in upon a funeral procession and he stopped it in its track. If you see nothing else in that, we studied that uh, some time ago, the, the, it, is the, it was the effect of reversing the curse. It was a taste of heaven, a taste of the kingdom for just a moment. It's an amazing thing when he put his hand up on the beer. Or when he opened the eyes of the blind, the man who had never seen. 
I mean, it's the, it's, it's the promise in that. Look, take a step back as our bodies are crumbling and, and the, the fingers are sort of stiff in the morning. They don't start working until about 10. I don't know if they're unionized or what. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah, we're on break. Okay. You know, I don't, the, the, the picture in that is that someday you're going you're gonna to be as youthful and filled with vim and vigor as a, as a toddler running off. Ever seen toddlers? They, they like... They finally stop when they run out of gas. They're waiting, you know, like, what? Oh, to have that energy. I remember my mother saying, oh, to have that energy. That's what it's going to be like. I mean, now we're just disasters if we don't sleep, right? Say, well, I'm going to do an experiment. Next three days, I'm not going to sleep. You'll be unfit to live with. In fact, you will. You'll you'll hear weird things in your head. And you'll see it's like, like LSD. It'll be like... They tell me. It's, it's just it's sort of, you know, like, I mean, it is. That's true. The, that we're disasters, this utter disasters. We're weak and puny, small and frail. We're Humpty Dumpty. Uh, we, we, we really are. And yet Jesus provides in his life during that short time, during those episodes, a taste of heaven, what it's going to be like someday. In our text this morning, we find Jesus in the synagogue, uh, and, and incidentally, our churches follow the format of the synagogue. Did you know that? Just a word. Uh, in a town, they could have a synagogue. You had 10 heads of houses. You had 10 males. And they joined together. Uh, there was only one temple, right? Where was that? What city was that in? Jerusalem, only one. And as the people lived far and away, they would go to synagogue. But to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 families with 10 heads of homes, and they would gather there on the holy day in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day. Uh, they would uh, gather, and, and, and from what we can tell, uh, they would sing, they would worship, like Ed and company, our worship team, sing, they'd read scripture, they would pray. There was a teacher who would teach, and uh, they would fellowship. And then it would go and have a Shabbat dinner, very similar to what kind of things uh, we, we do. And here it is, the Lord is in the synagogue, he is speaking. He's the teacher. How about that? I'd like to sign up for that message. You know, wouldn't that be, uh, be something? Uh, you, you, uh, wow. I don't think anybody fell asleep there. What do you think? <laughs> Lord, could you repeat that? Is that on CD? I fell asleep. You know, like, I don't think that happened. And uh, there he is. And in the midst of that, there's an occasion where a woman comes in and the Lord is going to heal this woman who has a terrible disease of the spine. Now, this is a little bit different uh, uh, because, and I remember, Luke is a physician and he's going to, he's used to diagnosing and he makes note of time references and healing and he notes some things particular that John and Mark and Matthew in their Gospels uh, wouldn't uh, have their mind tuned into as much as a physician. And so uh, he notes that this woman and her affliction uh, has been a long time, but it's not merely a physical affliction. It's the result of a satanic cruelty in her life. Now note that. Now, it's, it's, don't think, it, well, it's that primitive pre-science mind where everything was attributed to the demons and Satan and all that kind of thing. Don't think that, because this is the only time in Luke's gospel Luke, the beloved physician, where he notes this woman was cruelly afflicted by Satan and he caused her to be bent over. She had a spinal problem. Ever have a back problem? A, lot, a number of us 
here have back problems, a pain in the back. There's an expression. Oh, no, that's the neck. Pain in the <laughs> Well, that is connected, right? The, okay. But uh, those are very difficult. And, you know, we, we pray for a number of you. Gail, you've been feeling better? Still the same. Got to get another shot soon, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is debilitating. Well, that's her situation, but it was not just degenerative arthritis or something like that. It was induced uh, through Satan. It was a direct attack. And it reminds us that the, the Lord sets the boundaries, and we see in the life of Job where Satan would attack all of us and destroy us. He hates God's people. But God says, this far, no further. We see that from Job. Now, he'd, he would do that to us spiritually and ruin us. Just keep us tied in that same sin that we continually commit and keeps us in defeatville. And uh, he loves to do that. He is the accuser of the brethren, <clears throat> and he really exists. One of the great th things, if you could perpetrate, right, just uh, have people uh, perpetrate the idea, that, well, he really doesn't exist. It's like saying you don't have any enemies. Have you noticed we have enemies in this world? There are enemies. There are some people that walk around like, oh, isn't it wonderful? There are no enemies. I have no Stay indoors. In fact, get a bomb shelter because you have enemies. There are enemies in life. There are national enemies that would destroy us. Phil's work uh, with the State Department all that recognizes that, and those that do particular work in that, they would destroy us in a moment. Don't you think that? Just because you're the so-called king of the hill for a moment. People hate the king of the hill. People walk around and say, well, I'm a nice guy. Why, don't, why doesn't everybody just like me? Don't be naive. You know, the sinfulness, uh, exceedingly sinfulness of men's heart, they, they hate who's ever, who's ever at the top for that moment. And I remind you, it's a momentary thing. I mean, the sun never sets on the what? The sun never set on the British Empire. Thank you, Roger. Did the rest of you cut history class? Or <laughs> I mean, in Br Britain needs help today, right? Yeah, that was true. The sun never set all the way around the world. And their day is faded. And uh, just read history and see all the other countries who they were on the top, and it's faded. And they're way back if they're even in existence today. Well, I'm going to do something a little different today. Uh, I like to only present two or three uh, main points that unfold the text, but we're going to move quickly, and I promise you, quickly. I want to make seven, seven lessons I learned here. Now, you hold me to it. We're going we're to do this quick. But there are so many things that when I studied, it just overwhelmed me. I couldn't, couldn't boil it down into th two or three things that were really, really uh, uh, knockouts to me insofar as what is it, Jesus, that you want from me this week, and what is it you're feeding our people from this text, a uh, time for helping. Well, let's uh, see seven lessons for us as we observe Jesus healing this, this desperate woman with a spinal uh, illness, uh, a, affliction from Satan on the Sabbath. Let's read the text first. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, reading at verse 10. And now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disturbing, a disabling spirit, a weakness is the idea, for 18 years, she was bent over and could not fully straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. 
and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue indignant was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries, that means enemies, were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now there's a multitude of things here. So fasten your seatbelt. Let's look at these lessons for us as we observe Jesus healing on the Sabbath day, this desperate woman. The first thing, eh, number one, it was Jesus' habit to gather together with God's people on the holy day. It was Jesus' habit. We see that through the Gospels, and here he is again. They're gathering to worship, praise God, singing, prayer time, and then the major port was given to the instruction in Scriptures. And as we can trust Josephus and others, they would often go on for an hour or two in the instruction of the Scriptures. And if certainly they were encouraged. Now I just, at a minimal, walk away and say, since uh, this was Jesus' habit, so should we make it a regular discipline in our life to gather with God's people for worship on the Lord's Day. Today is the Holy Day. It was changed at the resurrection. It was so momentous that it shook everything, that now it's the Lord's Day. In some parts of the world, Cutter, their day is Friday. That's the day. Monday, a Sunday is a work day there in a Muslim country. That's not so important. Here it's not that way. I know some churches will meet Saturday night. Evening and morning, actually, the day begins at 6 p.m. Saturday night is the Lord's Day, biblically speaking. But the point is, Make it your weekly habit to gather with God's people. Listen, you need the church, and the church needs you. I'm preaching to the choir because all you are here. I realize that. But don't develop the bad habit of not gathering. One week leads to the next, and it leads to the next, and you're pretty far afield. You need the Word of God weekly. Jesus illustrates that. Look, if, if someone didn't need it, Certainly he didn't need it. I better go there. I might sin. You know, it strengthens me in my resolve to live on. The Lord never had that problem. But he gathered as was the custom, and he gathered with God's people, and so should we. I, we teach our children that, and uh, I implore them. I talked to my son last night about his relationship with his pastor and, uh, and, and, and some needs there. And together with him, he would be honored and blessed by that and to be a blessing and a help and to be faithful. And, and oftentimes, uh, my children will talk to me about the sermon and about the ministry, and, and I delight in hearing that. And I praise the Lord for that. You set the pace. You be regular. It's a feeding time. If you love the Lord, this is feeding time. How about Thanksgiving dinner? We all know where that is, and we all smell that, right? And it's like cooking. Faith cooks it all night. Like, oh, when are we eating? Not till two. Oh, no. You know, like, there's a feeding. I know where my place is at the table. This is what it is every week at Grace. 
Pull up a chair and sit down, worship, sing, pray, and be fed the Word of God. And you'll see over the long run, you'll grow in grace. We have empty seats here. We want to see them filled. And you can best prepare yourself for public worship all week long by what? Walking with Jesus. Open your Bible. You know, it's a matter of motivation. But if I had a checklist and I said, look, I'll give you $5 for every day you open your Bible. You come in here with it. I got... I got six days, Pastor. That's six times five. That's 30 bucks you owe me. How much did I say? Five dollars? <laughs> right? It's motivation. Motivation. Open the Word. Get down and pray. Prepare your heart. Shall I say it? Go to bed at a decent hour on Saturday night. You know, like just rocking and rolling all night and staying up late and doing all this. And you come in here, you'll be sleeping. And uh, so on. Jesus made it his habit, and so should we. Number two, verses 11 and 12. As Jesus was teaching, he saw this suffering woman enter the building. He had compassion for her. And it reminds us that Jesus sees and he knows our pain. He knows our brokenness. She was bent over with a spinal disease for 18 years. That's a long time. We don't know how old she was. But what were you doing 18 years ago? I was trying to think back, 12 and 6. 1994. Any of you remember that year? That was a few, that was a few years ago, wasn't it? 1994. That's how long ago she, had, she was afflicted with this disease that bent her over and uh, robbed her of her, her dignity, was uh, greatly diminished. Uh, the satanic cruelty to her. Dr. Luke, as I mentioned earlier, notes that her weakness was from evil. Jesus affirms this in verse 16, if you, and we read that, but verse 16, he says, he actually says, Satan caused that, uh, and so on. Oh, how the disease must have disabled her life. Poor thing, couldn't work. Probably not. You think of that walking over like this? I mean, what kind of work could she do? Yeah, it, uh, it, it was cruel in its affliction. And uh, she didn't have normal social relationships, you know, if she was a young woman. Uh, she probably couldn't date, and she probably couldn't get about and visit her cousins and family. If she did, uh, it was with great difficulty. She was afflicted severely over the long haul uh, at nighttime rest. You know, some of us were uh, moaning and groaning last night after working on the church property yesterday and getting that thing looking great, you know. I was rolling around thinking, like, I found muscles I didn't know I had since wrestling, since I wrestled in college. <laughs> you go, am I such a wimp? Can't I hold my arm over my head for, like, three hours? The answer is no. I told Mike my problem. I discovered my problem. He was like, oh, yeah, what's that? <laughs> I've been sitting at a desk too long. <laughs> oh, man, this poor thing. And, and so could she sleep at night? You know, sleep is a sweet thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a sweet thing. I love to get in bed and sleep, especially when I'm weary. But when your body is aching or you're in chronic pain or this, it can rob you of the sweetness of that sleep. I'm sure she suffered from that. Her life was, was really... Uh, greatly diminished because of Satan in this attack. And yet, don't miss it, Jesus saw her. 
I think that's the amazing thing. In verse 11 and 12, Jesus saw, he's teaching, and the, and the tense of the verb is, while he's teaching, she's coming into the crowd. The men sat with the men, and the ladies, and the ladies in the synagogue, and, uh, but Jesus saw. Now listen, here's the thing. Most people, most people ignored her. You ever notice that with people that are visibly disabled? It's very uncomfortable. Now, we're all disabled and, and going to get more so that way as, as we get older. But what folks that are disabled, they, um, uh, folks don't uh, know how to, how to interact. They don't, should they look? Oh, I don't want to stare. You, you know how, they, 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 should I say something? No, I, you know, they maybe don't want me to notice. Right? Isn't that true? It's, it, it can be a very awkward moment. And uh, in fact, a lot of those folks, I'll tell you, uh, she was absolutely invisible to. I mean, there's a whole group of people that we walk around and don't even see them. They've got problems, they've got maladies, they've got difficulties. Maybe they're the financially poor and the impoverished or those that suffer physical illnesses. And they're like, invisible! Where? I don't see them. And we walk around. The text says, and Jesus saw her right while he was teaching. He saw her. Don't miss that. What, what, a, what a great thing. He sees us and he knows he's omniscient God made flesh. And there's great, great words there that the Lord sees us. The world may ignore me. They may, I may be invisible to anybody. I've got nothing special. But the Lord knows everything. He sees. And, and, and don't miss that. It's so beautiful, I think. Wow. She's invisible to all, but not to him. Well, the third, third lesson. In the midst of his teaching, and that's the sense of the verbs, Jesus calls her to come and heals her. Right between his second or third point, it seems, in verses 12 and 13. And the Lord says, you know, come up here. He calls her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability." And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was, made, uh, she was made straight. In the midst of his teaching, one word of compassion from Jesus, just one word, healed 18 years of satanic cruelty. Now that's power. One word. Now there, there's a picture of our coming glorification. One word. <laughs> you feeling pretty bad now? It's going to get better. It may go down worse than before it goes up. But when it goes up, all the hospitals will be empty. It would be great. No more doctor's appointments. Sorry, Mark. No, no more. That's it. That's it. You, gotta, I don't, you often said, do we don't need to straighten teeth in heaven. Yeah, that's it. No overbites. No, yeah. We're going to eat. Aren't you glad to know that in heaven? People ask me, we're going to eat now. You bet. Don't like eating, right? That's where you got fruit trees bearing fruit every month. They're not just going to be rotten and fall on the ground. I'm going to go over there and help myself to one of them. Quite a bit, probably. And you know what? It won't be like Wegmans where you got to pay them at the counter. Put that melon back. No, isn't it free? No, it's not free. <laughs> Aren't we in heaven? This is a nice store. No, it's not heaven. <laughs> Wow, holy cow, better get back here. He, and then he touches her. Listen, people didn't touch the disabled or the sick in that day. They weren't really sure what caused it, but they didn't want, uh-uh, I'm not touching any of that. Especially rabbis. You know, like, hey, what do we got going on here? 
Listen, that's one of the most wonderful things to do when folks are in bed or infirmed or dying is to touch them and hold them. You know that? They crave for that human touch. And Jesus illustrates that. He touched it. The text didn't have to say it. He didn't have to do it. It's a tender compassion. It's the heart of our Lord there. It just radiates there. His beauty, His love, His compassion. How tender a touch. It was the hand of God. Think of it. The hand of Jesus. The hand of God. Touching this lady. He's the creator. Wow, it's beautiful. One touch of the master's hand. Luke tells us then that immediately, wouldn't it be something for a doctor to say that, right? Immediately she was healed. Yeah, do you think it would have had a different impact? It was like three weeks later. You know, like, come see me in a month. My doctor would say, yeah, I like you. Come back next month. I got to come back? Yeah, you got to come back again. <laughs> I like the one that told me, I don't need to see you for five years. Really? He's my favorite doctor. He doesn't like to see me. <laughs> That's great, you know. Woo! But uh, come back next month. Are we buds? No, you got to pay to see me, but I, I want to see you. <laughs> You're a specimen like I haven't seen. <laughs> oh, boy. Immediately healed. She straightens up. This spine problem was probably fused together. You think she felt better than ever? Maybe she went down and signed up at yoga classes. I don't know. She was like, I got flexibility like I've never had. And she never had a problem with it again. Now she died uh, eventually. But look at that. It's a picture of the coming resurrection. I love it so much. Wow, what our bodies will be like. Youthful and strong. Wow, what an encouragement. In the last, uh, last two weeks, Faith and I have received word from uh, people we know, people our age and younger, who, uh, who have gotten bad news uh, physically. I mean, one guy I grew up with, Paul, uh, Paul Gibbs, lives in uh, Ohio. And Paul was in my high school graduation class. And Paul's father was our Sunday school teacher and made such an impact on my life. And uh, Paul had, uh, had a form of cancer and was uh, being treated. And then we just got word on Facebook that uh, his lungs de uh, uh, developed another kind of cancer. And so they couldn't continue, for whatever reasons, I don't know, the uh, chemotherapy anymore. And so he said, uh, I am again in God's hands. And then uh, another one I was teaching in the college and seminary, Pat McGoldridge. Pat's a pastor in Michigan, a beautiful family. His kids are... Uh, is the oldest one going to go to college? Senior in high school, beautiful. Uh, and uh, he found out within a few months ago, because his body wasn't working right, that, uh, that he had uh, ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's. And uh, that's, a, that's, that's one of the most humiliating uh, diseases uh, that I know of. Our, our, our next-door neighbor, Diane, where we live, she died of ALS. And we tried to help her through those uh, waning days where she, she couldn't move at all. And her body withered up. And then finally, she couldn't breathe anymore and died. And here's Pat McGoldrich. He was, uh, he was a graduate student when I was a uh, professor in the seminary. And uh, now looking at, we're all mortal. We're all subject to death. 
It's just that when a terrible disease enters in at that, at we say, the prime of life, we go like, wow, you know, wow, the body is crumbling. And you could, we could pass the mic around and you know a bunch. But someday again, our bodies will be youthful and strong. They will, I promise. In the midst of his teaching, Jesus calls her to come and heals her. Number four, when Jesus changes our life, uh, the immediate response should be lifelong praise. I mean, she straightens up. I mean, there's no statement here uh, that uh, she was regenerate. Now, she gathered at great physical uh, difficulty with God's people on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, and maybe that's, it took her a long time. That may be why she came in later. But, uh, and then she's healed, and immediately she starts to praise the Lord and, and give praise and glory to God, the text tells us. And I say to you, that's the right response. She glorified God, gave Him praise. Can you imagine her uh, not praising God all the days of her life from that time forward? Could her life ever be the same? In my even menial conversation, she would turn and say, yeah, yeah, that's really nice. That's what Did I ever tell you about the day that the Lord Jesus healed me? Praise the Lord. Let me tell you about it again. Yeah, that's a picture, really, of what, how we ought to respond when, when God changes our life and He saves us. He draws us to our, Himself. He opens our heart with faith and repentance, and He gives us to each other, and we begin the blessed journey uh, the celestials to the celestials, and we ought to have praise. We ought to, we ought to give thanks to God and glorify Him. And it ought to be like breathing. It ought to be that spontaneous. And so I ask you, do you fill your days? Are your days filled with praise? Under your breath, quietly, and even out loud? They ought to be. Hers response was unrehearsed and spontaneous and from the heart. And ours should be the same. Lack of such is a great warning. You know, your car has some warning lights on it. Ever notice that? I mean, I remember a car I had, and I wasn't too bright back then. The thing kept coming on. I kept tapping it. it must be a short in that light there. You know, I ever t- that's a stupid thing to do. Don't do that thing. That, there's a reason why that. Now, there may be a chance the light or a sensor, but there's probably a bigger chance your engine's going to blow up. You know? And the lack of praise and the lack of joy in your life probably means you need to get alone with the Lord and say, God, search my heart. There's something going on here. I got sin in my heart or something that's grounding that joy and the pleasure that I ought to have in you all week long, all day long, and especially when God's people gather. And she's a beautiful picture of that. What? That God gives us a song. Well, number five, the healing uh, of the disabled woman is a beautiful picture of our salvation, is it not? And this is just an insertion here, so you're thinking about it. There was no way for us to free ourselves from our spiritual bondage. We were bent over, not in a physical malady like hers that was satanically induced, but we were bent over with the burden of our sin. It's like uh, Pilgrim there in uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. 
we studied that years ago in, in the men's fraternity. Some of you men will remember that. The burden of the sin until Pilgrim came to the foot of the cross, and in Jesus it rolled off. It's a beautiful picture of that. You have to agree with that. We're unable to help ourselves. We are bent over with the crushing load of our sin, and we're guilty. We are true, legally guilty. Guilty, I say. Well, not feelings of guilt, but legally guilt. Sometimes we don't feel guilty. I, someone will say, well, I don't feel like God's uh, going to hold me guilty. I say, well, it's not a matter of your feeling. It's a matter of you've broken the law of God, and you are guilty. And there's a penalty that will be paid because of that. Now, if you study the Word, and you see the law, and you look at it clearly, for the law condemns, it shows us, it shines the light on us for who we are. Whoa, whoa, I'm utterly in sin. All of us are. What shall we do? That's a good place to be. A lot of people don't know they need Jesus because they don't know they're lost. That's the place of the law. We, we become our own gods. We're selfish to the hilt. And we see how selfish. And that's why I say it's a beautiful picture of that. And Jesus saw, saw us in our lost condition. He had compassion for us. He gave himself for our sin. And then he calls us. There is the calling of God. And he instantly saves us from our condition. I, I remember when I was seven years old, that happened to me. I heard the gospel, began to understand a little bit. My mother gave some explanation. The pastor preached a beautiful gospel message. And uh, it was like, it was as clear as day. He's preaching the word, and it was the Spirit of God. It was Jesus saying, Terry, come, come to me. And receive me as, as your Lord and Savior. Come just as you are. I, I paid for all that sin. And, and God drew me and opened my heart and saved me. And, and I've been on the trek all these years ever since. I wish I could say I never sinned again. But I'd be lying through my teeth. And you too. It's God's work in us. And he's, bit by bit, the power of the gospel. Oh, I want to please him more and more and more. And to know his joy and to know his pleasure and to do his will. That's why I live. And that's why heaven looks even more glorious. Look, if you're sort of mixed between the here and the now, and you put too much emphasis on now, you're not really sure you want to depart and be with Jesus. Think about that. Think through your priorities. What a picture of our salvation. Her horrible condition reminds us that there is no situation beyond help. None. God can save any and all. He can even help you if you're here and you know not Jesus. There's no doctor. Like you go to a doctor and you got a tough case. The doctor says, I've done everything I can. You're beyond my help. And I'm the best in the field, they tell me, and uh, there's nothing more can be done. You know, Jesus never, ever had to say that. Oh, you're, you're just too great a sinner. I'm sorry. Nope. It's the boys' club. It's the girls' club. I'm sorry. No, Paul, that settled when Paul wrote in Timothy that I'm the greatest of sinners. 
And God saved me, and if he saved the greatest, then all the rest of you lesser sinners, there's room at the cross for you. I paraphrase that a little bit, but that's what he means. Number six, due to the hardness of man's heart, not everyone was happy uh, for this woman. Due to their hardness, verse 14, uh, there it is again. Uh, Find verse 14, the word but. We, We know how the word but works. Did you do this, you know, in a work setting? Did you do that? Oh, yeah, but. Here it comes. And the but just negated everything that went before it. You just might as well cross it out, right? Some of you have people that work for you, right? Did you get the job done? Oh, yeah, but, uh uh-oh, just eliminate everything that was just said. Here it comes now, but. I told you that, didn't I? One of my students one day wanted to title his sermon, that was just guys. How big is your butt? And I said, uh, that probably is not a good sermon title. <laughs> People take it. I know what you mean on that. I know what you mean, but it doesn't. Well, what do you know? Pro- no. But. Read the text here in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue should have been the most holiest guy there was indignant. He was angry because Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. The leader here uh, uh, he, uh, he's angry. Why? Jesus broke a rule. There are a lot of rule keepers, you know, a lot of rule uh, umpires. Have you ever noticed that? You broke the rule. You broke the rule. A lot of times firstborns are like that. Have you ever noticed? Any firstborns here? Raise your hand. Be proud of it. Whoa, Whoa we got a lot of them. Okay. Yeah, am I right, rule breakers? Right? A lot of times they make great, they say in birth order, great policemen, or another form of policeman is what? A teacher? <laughs> broke the rule down at the principles, right? This kind of thing. All right, and you broke the rule. You got to be kidding me. This poor lady, 18 years suffering, like few people ever suffered. And he's worried about what he thinks are his little rules. Unbelievable. You, Jesus, and it's Jesus you broke the rule. But. But we're going to notice here even some more details. Uh, You broke the rule. No work on the Sabbath. Instead, he should have been rejoicing. He should have been doing handstands. If he had entered into this woman's life at all in the community and now found her healed completely, entered into her joy and her deliverance, but he doesn't. You broke the rule. Well, the man's a coward on top of it. Why is that? You notice he doesn't talk to Jesus directly? You notice that? This, this happens over here. Jesus uh, heals her, and the ruler of the synagogue has been sitting. He stands up, and rather than say, oh, Lord, he's, now he's addressing everybody. He's a coward. Instead of saying, you broke the rule, he gives this little, this little sermonette on uh, the Sabbath day and so on. He must have felt pretty good about it in the super spirituality, but he was completely wrong. He's a coward. In essence, and do you notice what he told the lady? In essence, he said, come back tomorrow and be healed. Not, no work today. Manana. Now think about it, all right? There, Jesus is there then, right? Who, who does this ruler of the synagogue think is going to heal this lady on Sunday? Like, is he going to do it? Oh, she's, okay, here I am. I'm on Sunday. Can you heal me? Where's Jesus? You know, like, like you've got to be kidding me. Manana, right? 
You know, the reality is this woman suffered uh, for 18 years. And she was not going to suffer one day more. And, and, and the Lord saw to it and took care of business. But it's chilling, isn't it? When we see the lack of compassion that men and women have for others, it's chilling. He had a callous indifference for people in need, people in his own community. Oh, my. Oh, my. But we can do the same thing, can't we? Uh, people fail and goof up their lives and make a mess of it, and we go like, well, they had their chance. They made their bed, now you sleep in it. Or you made it, you sleep in it. And we can have a hardness in our heart now, rather than being the merciful hands and love of Jesus that we ought to be. And we ought to extend the people the same grace that we have received and keep doing it. And keep doing it. Part of the reason is, is for our own hearts. I told you before, just to be help you understand, when uh, Faith and I, for a long time, we would go to Chicago when Jonathan was in school there, and or Baltimore, I go down there, and the people on the street, you know, people begging for money and stuff like that, for a long time, you know, I avoid them or go the other way, and it's not pleasant a lot of times. Uh, but I, I discovered uh, to my own detriment that my own heart was getting hard. And so I resolved that I would always take some $1 bills down there, and if I were asked like that, and if I had some tracts, I would give that to them. Because you tell them you're a Christian, they, they know the whole, most of them know the whole gospel line. They know how to get money. And I don't know if he's going to use it for drugs or alcohol or something else or food. I hope he uses it for food. But I give that to him because I need to do that. I don't want to see a need and harden my heart. I already have enough problem with a hard heart. I don't, want to, I don't want to encourage that. And so it's to the Lord, it's to your. And, and if I have word of the, I want to do it. So that's been my, our practice on it. And it's one-hour bill, so it's nothing great, but it keeps my heart from getting hard, and it can get real hard. And I suspect yours can as well. We can be just like this ruler in the city with this callous, and, and I, I don't want that. And it helps me in a small way. And number seven, last, Jesus rebuked his uh, opponents, exposing them as hypocrites. I mean, he, he redressed them. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath day untie his oxen? What's he talking about here? This is what he says. Look, you are kinder to your animals. You show mo more mercy to, to animals than you do to people. Have you noticed that that's very similar to our world, isn't it? Oftentimes, I see people treat the rest of creation better than they treat those that are made in God's image. Right? They'll kill people just for the environment. <gasps> Mother Nature! You know, <laughs> get off the grass! You know, screaming. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Uh, they love nature, hate people. Wish all the people leave here. We love the birds singing. Or in our neighborhood, we've watched people love their dogs, and it's a good thing to love a dog. My mother loved her dog and provided companionship for years and years. You have a beautiful dog, Mike. I, I was petting her yesterday. But I've noticed that people treat their dogs almost nicer than they do the kids. You know, sick them. Go get them. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? 
I don't know. So I, I don't know what's going on in their heads, but a dumb animals, he say, look, you treat, and they're dumb. Don't take offense at that. They're not, they're not human beings made in God's image. They're wonderful pets. They're, they teach us something of God's creation. They're always happy to see us. They're wonderful that way. I wish people were like that. Let people are, he's home, he's home. They're like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. We hate you. you know? <laughs> There's a reason why we love pets, but they don't bear, they're not image bearers of God. And Jesus said, listen, you're so inconsistent. You treat animals better than you do this woman who's been bent over for 18 years. That's how hard your heart is. You do that, you treat them, your animals even on the Sabbath. So Jesus corrects their twisted understanding of God's Word by telling them He's the Lord of the Sabbath, He's the one who created it, and that the Sabbath is not only a day for worship and rest, but it's a day for mercy. It's a day to be kind. It's a day to help. That's the original intent of why God made it. And so He restores the significance and the true meaning of the Sabbath. Well, we too, we too are to care for, for needy people. The discouraged, and there are plenty of them. Discouraged. I mean, you don't have to take very many steps, and it hits again, right? Or the infirmed, or the poor, or the disabled, and we're to do it through, throughout the week. But also on the Lord's Day. You know, we worship in the morning and get some rest and and maybe have a nice meal, and then uh, we, 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 can, we, can, uh, we can care, look around. Who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs a meal? Who needs a phone call? Uh, maybe a service at a nursing home. Maybe visit the infirmed in their home, the shut-in, and, and we become the hands and the feet and the, and the eyes and the heart of Jesus to people. The heart of giving, especially even on the Lord's Day. For you see, it's always the right time to share God's love by helping others. It's always, always the right time. Well, lessons for our life before we're done. Let's look here. Number one, today is the day for helping others. It is. Today. Allow the love of Jesus to flow through you to those in need. More blessed to give than to receive. You say, I'm pretty, I'm pretty miserable. I'm pretty unhappy. You know what? It tells me you're not giving enough. It's more blessed, Jesus said, to give them reason. Give, give of your time and give up. Give of all that you have. I'm telling you, you'll have a joy in it. Sometimes people say, well, I can't take this from you. I said, well, you can't refuse it. I said, well, why? Because uh, I get the greater blessing more than you do. Well, I can't. You have to take it. I want to be blessed. I want to have a happy day, a blessed day. What? Who, are, who are you? Let me ask you, who are you helping? Who are you? With your words? You know, a kind word? You know, I see some. Our words, our words of life, our time, some of the older infirmed and sickly and shut in, and, and that, 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 they like our time, and our time is such a valuable resource. I bet it's number one. It's more than talents, it's more than money. It's time. People want that time valuable. Roll up your sleeves, get involved. Number two, perhaps, perhaps you don't see anyone having need. Oh my. Oh my. But that's true. I mean, it seemed like the folks in that community didn't see. This woman was invisible. And perhaps you're like, I, 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 I don't see any, any. Well, what I would do is ask the Lord to open your eyes. Lord, help me see someone today. 
to really see them and then do what you can. Send them a note, call them, take them to lunch, encourage them, buy them something, whatever they, you think they're needed. Be, be the eyes and the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus to others. Be that. Number three, we as a church family, as you know now from Ann and Anna's presentation, and as promised, uh, once a quarter, we want to have a community impact project where we're reaching in and making a difference. And uh, you have the list. We'd like to really do a nice job with the food shower. And uh, this is a low impact. We're doing a number of that are low impact to begin with, but increasingly there will be some that will involve hands-on in intentional ministry into the community where we'll pray and we'll go in and we'll help. We'll help kids with their studies, their tutoring. We'll help with food distribution, the food supper over Bethesda Mission and other places where we can make a difference here and be a blessing. And in that, people say, well, why would you do something like that? And we can say, I'm so glad you asked that question. You see, there was a, a Lord, and his name is Jesus. And let me tell you about that. And he loves you too. You see? It's, it's the hands and the eyes and the feet of Jesus. And we want to intentionally do that as a church. And it will change us bit by bit as a church as we have eyes into the community and not inward. That is an unhealthy church. Let's just hug again and hurdle again. There's a place to do that, certainly. I love that. But then we scatter. And then as we scatter, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then as a church, we want to do intentional different programs where six or eight or 10 or 20 or all of us are involved in that. And here's an opportunity. So take that list. And there's the table. We already have some foods being brought in and to make a difference to those in our community that have real needs. Number four, find comfort for yourself in knowing that no matter what you are now going through, Jesus knows and he sees it all. His compassion for you never fails. He will see you through. He sees. Just write down Psalm 139 if you need to restudy that. He sees, he knows it all. He knows. Sometimes all you need to know, does Jesus really know what I'm going through? And he does. Number five and last. How about it? Perhaps you are still in your sin today. I invite you to come today to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. Turn from your sin and believe upon him. Jesus is calling. He called that woman over. He's calling today through the Word. He's calling. He's calling. It's the voice of Jesus. Come and receive me. Come, believe upon me. Today is the day of salvation. And He will save you from your sin. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's you and that's me in that picture there. But someday, here's the reality. You're going to look better than ever. Better than Humpty Dumpty put back together. Praise God for that. Today is a day for mercy. It's a day to help. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful word. It feeds our souls so deeply. Change us, Lord, bit by bit. Make us like the Lord. Bless us as a church as we get a real vision for others, for community, for the world. Oh, we love you so. May we be mercifully the hands of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.